0: everybody. Welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is your host, Kim Shea. I am a certified retirement coach. Today is Friday, December 4th in 2020. We're still in the pandemic. And I wanted to let you know that according to Feedspot, this podcast is ranked in the top 25 empty nest podcasts. And yes, that is a category. So they're saying you should be following me in 2020. If you haven't done so, I'll give you instructions at the end of this podcast. And I'll also give you the link to that information with Feedspot. Today, I'm interviewing a friend of mine, Jack Cummins. He is an independent consulting actuary with experience as a senior health insurance executive, and he is had a lot of experience with the senior housing industry on health care and issues related to aging services. He's also, as if that wasn't impressive enough, he's also the research director for the National Continuing Care Residents Association, and he's a very interesting guy who's certainly not retired. Welcome, Jack. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: I'm delighted to be here, and it's good good to uh, see you, and I hardly know what to say, but I'm You've flattered me terrifically, and I like it very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, no, you're you are really impressive, and you certainly are old enough to be. I'm guessing sitting in your rocking chair and just staring out at the view, but you're not doing that.
1: I'm uh, yes, I'm eighty 84 years old. So eighty four. Wow. And, uh, that's a good age. It's it very liberating.
0: Well, I I admire you for how much you are so committed to doing what you're doing. It's really wonderful wonderful service to the world so thank you thank you for sh- coming on today so would you you want to share your background with us like where you're from and how you got into what you're doing or what you did before you retired anything you want to share with us
1: well i i spent many years living in new york city uh, which is said to be the world's largest concentration of overachievers in my <laughs> career, my career i was i was educated in uh in history and the humanities. But to uh, earn a living, I uh, I qualified as an actuary. You do that simply by taking examinations. You don't have to sp- spend college time. So I spent my university training being educated in history and humanities. I simply, you know, you just study on your own, and if you can pass the exams, you you prove that you're qualified. So I proved the mastery of The mathematics and statistical background needed to be an actuary. For those who may not know what an actuary is, uh, we're a special kind of mathematically trained person who specializes in risk, uh, the financial consequences of long term risk undertaking. So that includes insurance contracts, it includes pension plans, and it includes. Uh, long-term contracts in in elder care facilities. Uh, So uh, it's a relevant background for those people who are facing the particular contingencies and challenges that come with aging, just a natural progression.
0: Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. It's something most people... Well, I know I didn't know what it was until I met you. So thank
1: you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I had a neighbor once who said, after she met, she said, I never knew the world needed actuaries. And and, uh, some people say that an actuary is a place where they bury dead actors, and maybe it is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a smart person, I know that much. So, How did you get out here in Carlsbad?
1: Well, uh, there's a long story there. I, I uh, initially came out to take a job as chief actuary of a of an insurance conglomerate, which was in Santa Monica, and uh, the, that uh, that employment ended uh, with a uh, takeover and a decision that they were going to just eliminate all the top officers, and so uh, I. Uh, had a chance to either go back east as a or to stay here and do consulting and i was able to find clients immediately so i've uh, i've followed the uh, consulting route ever since and that's been that's proven to be a blessing in disguise it's no of course it's no fun to be laid off but it happens to a lot of people and yes. usually you there's Considerable opportunity after that, but the, what it did for me was to allow me to work freelance, and that allows you to grade into the freedom of uh, of your uh, latter years and to work as much or as little as you want. And I'm blessed because I love business. I just love the opportunity that business has to bring about improvements in the lives of people. I don't know of any other uh, entity that improves lives as much as entrepreneurial business enterprises are able to do. So that's been my focus over the past uh, 30 plus years.
0: That's really neat. And I love business too. And I think being an entrepreneur is one of the greatest things you can do, especially as you move towards retirement, to come in there and do what you know how to do best. It's, I think it's wonderful opportunity. I want to ask you a question. You said uh, being laid off led to a considerable opportunity or that that's a, that you've seen that, that that is what happens for people after they've been laid off as it leads to considerable opportunities. Have you seen that with a lot of people after they've been laid off?
1: Yes, most people, I think, uh, land on their feet. It's it's uh, it can be devastating at the time if you're not prepared for it. I sort of saw it coming, so I was. Oh, you did. I, okay. I was already thinking about what I wanted to do uh, because uh, the company it was taken over by um, Citibank, a, a man named Sandy Weil, and uh, I he's he was sort of a Wall Street robber baron. So I had a an idea where things uh, might be going. But uh, for most of my friends who've uh, faced similar challenges, they usually come up with much happier employment. So many people cling desperately to jobs that they just hate. And that's a a terrible fate to have. So moving along and just uh, finding something you love is just so much more satisfying.
0: I think, do you think it's, it scares people to leave the job they hate? Because the devil you knew versus the devil you don't?
1: Well, we have a mythology that holding a job is secure. And it's quite the opposite. I mean, if you think about it, if you're doing the work that you do for 10 clients and one of them terminates your service, you still have nine clients. But if you have a job, you've only got one client, and that's your immediate employer. And if that business shrinks, and many businesses have been shrinking because of this pandemic, if that business shrinks, it's not the owner who's going to get out of work. They're going to eliminate the people who are just working at jobs. So it's a myth that a job brings security at one time there was sort of an unspoken contract of loyalty between employers and employees but that kind of uh mutual loyalty is long since gone so i think now we're we're seeing changes in, not only in the employment area but also in the structure of corporations. We're moving away from the hierarchical corporate model toward a more integrated levelized networked model of organization. And we're moving away from the job economy toward more of a gig economy. And if we get the healthcare out of the way, if you're not dependent on your job to get your healthcare, which is absurd on its face, then the, we can unleash the full potential of the American workforce mm-hmm. to, uh, to find their own level. And I, so I think we're, anyway, a lot of transitions are going forward and most of them are going to be positive, especially for people approaching retirement age and thinking, what's life gonna be like after retirement? Will I still matter if I've mm-hmm. retired? which is a question that I think a lot of us face.
0: Yeah, and I thank you for injecting so much hope into this whole picture. And there's a lot of people retiring or being forced into early layoffs right now because of the pandemic. It's just business, as you said, the owner is not going anywhere, <laughs> you are. And it's it's scary. So to think that there's other things you can do. And I think as you've, you've indicated, I mean, you, you can live a long time once the retirement or the layoff happens many, many, many decades after your retirement. So to find something new to land on your feet and have hope that there's things that are, you know, good things coming for you around the corner is wonderful. It's wonderful to think on that. So thank you for sharing that with everybody.
1: Yeah, I might add that uh, as an actuary and we're famous for dealing in mortality uh, and uh, we also deal in in uh, what's called morbidity, which is uh, sickness, our nation is undergoing a longevity revolution. I think we know that. We're living a whole generation long. We've extended the lifespan by a whole generation within a very short period of time. And we could go into the reasons why that's true, but it is true. But more importantly, we are going undergoing a vitality revolution. So it's no longer the case that all old, old people are just doddering, pathetic creatures who need all sorts of sustaining stuff. There are people who are still contributing. We have a man who who might have moved into a senior care facility. He's certainly the age of. Many people who are living in senior care facilities, but I think he prefers moving into the White House, and it looks like he's soon going to get there. So, we we're not, we haven't, as a society and as a culture, we haven't recognized this change. And I'd like to just mention B Rose. B Rose is a physician. She lives in La Jolla. She's one hundred five years old, and she participates regularly in discussions among a group of scholars that I'm associated with. And uh, she has no trouble using Zoom on her own, and there she is. So uh, if you think that you may be still contributing, still positive, still making a difference at age 105, you have to give a lot of thought to what you're going to do with the rest of your life.
0: Oh, yeah no, you're, you're singing my song here. This is all really valuable information. I love the term vitality revolution. I think that's great. And you're right. It's not recognized as well as it should be even by people in your, in, in that gap of the, in that group of the retirement group that there's a lot of people who struggle with that at first and find there's a lot more hours in the day than they realized. And how are they going to stay relevant? So I like that you're you're pushing that and encouraging that.
1: Yeah. I think the first three months are liberating and then you're ready to do something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I worked with a man who was getting ready to retire and I said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to play tennis. I said, okay, but what else are you going to do? And he said, I'll I'll figure it out. And I talked to him a few months later and he said, there are a lot more hours in the day than I ever realized. And that's not good. So, so I think you were talking about um, how you got down here to Carlsbad, then from Santa Monica.
1: Oh, uh, if well, you want to tell us that, I can tell you that. Okay. Um, I would. I was uh, working out of my my home. You know, I I was doing freelance work, so I had mm-hmm. clients, but I and so I was probably in my late sixties, and uh, one day I was there all alone. And uh, suddenly I got up from my desk and I was felt very faint and I I uh, couldn't really walk straight and I didn't know what was happening. And I thought, should I call 911? Well, no, I don't want to make a big fuss about this. I, I It'll probably just pass. I don't know what it is, but uh, I don't think I should overreact. But I also thought that I might die right there and right then. And I was getting close to the age at which my father and my grandfather had both died of sudden heart attacks. So uh, I I didn't want to just be all alone and uh, die on the spot. But also, I didn't want my wife to be stuck as a widow living alone in a single family house. So Uh, Her parents had retired to a senior living uh, community in New Hampshire. Now, we didn't want to go back to winter, so we weren't going to go to New Hampshire. But we did have a positive feeling about that. So we started shopping for what was available. And we went to visit a number of these communities. And uh, the marketing fellow at a place in La Jolla when I asked him who his competitors were surprised me. I was trying to get the dirt on the on the other mm. places, but anyway, he surprised me by saying that uh if he was the marketing director at Carlsbad by the sea, the place sells itself because they'd torn it down and rebuilt it, and it was on the beach, and it was beautiful and et cetera so that very day, we came up to Carlsbad, we looked into it, and two years later, uh, we moved in. So uh, we've, we've now lived uh, in Carlsbad in a uh, senior care facility for the past uh, 14 years. It was that, in fact, that got me involved in senior living the uh, the fact is, I assumed, since I came from the insurance industry, which is where the finances and the contracts are regulated, I assumed that this industry that required an entry fee was also regulated. and I was surprised to find that there's very little oversight. there's you know virtually no financial or contract oversight of these communities. And so um, I just thought, well, I can't stand by and ignore this. It would be as though you were a bridge engineer and you understood that the bridge was unsafe. Uh, You wouldn't just say, well, I'm not gonna warn people. I'm gonna let people just keep driving over this unsafe bridge. So um, I started getting involved with the industry to try to see why that was, why there wasn't uh, this kind of trustworthy financial uh, environment. And uh, so that began my engagement with the industry. And it's it's still continuing to this day.
0: Yeah, you've been really active and you're involved in a lot of different communities and subcommunities, and, and you're involved in the Carlsbad chamber of commerce and you're involved in the senior housing industry. Um, I know in social media, you're involved there too. And, and you speak out when I, I said to you in an email, when I asked you, if you wanted to be on this, that you're kind of a burr in the saddle of the aging industry and you didn't take offense to that. So, um, and I, I don't, I don't mean that negatively at all. I admire that because you're, you're just trying to say, it seems like just could you pay attention to how it is on on my end as a person living in here and as, as as people who are living in this type of a setup, which you live in a nice place. I mean, it's it's very luxurious. It's got beautiful views. It's a nice place. But there are problems that you are speaking out on.
1: Well, uh, yes, that's true. I certainly have no intention to be a okay. bird. And so... What I wanted to be was a help to an industry that I thought may have just not understood um, the nature of certain commitments that they were undertaking. And so I, uh, you know, I remember going to Washington. I I got um, early on. I started getting involved in the industry, so I would go to industry conferences. I was willing to talk and learn from anybody. I took the examinations to qualify as a certified aging services professional so that I would have the same qualification as the uh, industry leaders. And uh, 10 years ago, I flew to Washington at my own expense to meet with people in the uh, industry's principal trade association, to try to talk about these mm-hmm. things. And that was, a, uh, that was eye-opening because uh, I don't, if you've ever been deposed, if you're interviewed in a litigious situation, they, the one side is very hostile mm-hmm. toward the others. And what I found was when I got there that this trade association was hostile toward residents. And I couldn't understand that. And uh, I've, I've pursued that now, it's been 10 years, but I know of no industry that has ever thrived by belittling its customers. And so uh, that's been something that I keep trying to voice and to bring to the attention of the industry leaders so that they can see themselves as, they're, as it's being portrayed. Now, what's happened is that the trade associations will not engage on these issues with residents. So they simply ignore this and present themselves as the sole experts. And of course, they have the advantage of age because many of the residents die before they're able to affect things, so uh, and the providers have access to all of the money that the residents pay to live there, so they're able to mount a lobbying and uh, they're able to advocate with legislators in a way that is just not available to the general public. But what's been happening is that gradually – the public is beginning to realize that this is not the best use of, if you sell your house and take the equity in your house and put it into an entry fee, which is then put at risk and is lost, that's not a, that's not a good idea. And the industry has resisted having protections for uh, senior living residents which would be easy to provide. In other words, if you have a bank deposit, if you buy an insurance policy, if you have a brokerage account, if you have a pension, those obligations are protected by guarantee laws that spare the consumer from bearing the Mm -hmm. loss. There are no protections for entry fee investments. It's fully at risk. And that's something... That I think could be easily changed, but the industry has been reluctant to do it, in part because of certain dominant financial interests which impact the industry. Wow,
0: do you think most people know that when they're coming in to these communities?
1: Most people, most people trust it. Okay. Many of them are nonprofit, tax exempt, so people just uh, automatically assume that non-profit organizations are more trustworthy Mm. than for-profit organizations. But the senior living industry was able to lobby the Internal Revenue Service to gain a special dispensation that because the age, old age is deemed to be a distressing condition, that merely providing services to the elderly is regarded as charitable, no matter how profitable the organization providing those services is. See.
0: So how do you get an audience? Is that I mean, I, I assume that's your whole focus here is to get an audience who can listen to what you're saying and then enact something based on what you've Yes, got.
1: I publish everywhere that I can, and uh, there are some... Um, trade, there are some journals that uh, publish to the industry that have the courage to say what needs to be said. I've found that there are some um, prominent providers who are open to uh, thinking and are what there, and I have relationships with many, many providers, friends, And they generally try to keep it confidential because it's frowned on in the industry for people who work in the industry to fraternize with the residents. Uh, So, uh, residents, I was shocked to find that I was a second-class citizen merely because I bought the product. I mean, I I never would have anticipated that you would treat your customer as inferior because they were your customer. It just made no sense to me, and it still doesn't to this day. So I find that there are a number of providers who are listening, and the industry is gradually responding. Those people are, Uh, and uh, while the trade associations don't go there. I did serve, though, on the board of the California Trade Association for a while and tried to be a voice there, and um, they would let me talk and say, well, don't you worry your little gray head about that. Oh. We, 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 we understand this business and, and you don't need to worry. So, but I think with time, the fact is that congregate living, which is what this is, in other words, mm-hmm. people living together in a community where they're mutually supportive, is a positive idea. And it's an idea that's good not only for older people, it's a, a, an idea that can be good for other people as well. And, uh, um, you know, it's not that common because in the 20th century, the um, cultural, culturally favored living model was a senior family house. Mm-hmm. But I think people are beginning to rethink particularly with two earner families, if you've got a two earner family and now you're isolated in a single family house and they and you've got children and you've got to figure out what am I going to do with the children? Well, I've found a child care facility nearby, but they but if the child gets sick and children do get sick from time to time, they're not allowed to go there and what are you supposed to do, and your employer doesn't allow you to take a day off to care for a sick child, so you have to lie and It's just a mess and it doesn't have to be. So the opportunity for people who specialize in this industry that has been age discriminatory is to expand it so that they drop the age thing and they start providing real services to everybody on a sound financial basis that people can trust. And where they're not going to lose their money, they may even let them have ownership, which is very, very rare for senior living providers. Most of them say, give up the ownership in your home, give us the equity in your home, Mm -hmm. and come live here as a tenant. And Mm -hmm. in some cases, you're not even a tenant. And you're only just given a license to live there for as long as they deem that you're able to live there. So you can be evicted late in life because they say you require a level of care that they don't feel qualified to provide under their license. So you don't even have the security of having a lifetime safe haven. I, I think most people just don't understand those challenges. That doesn't have to be. This industry could have addressed that from the get-go and it's unfortunate that they didn't, but I think that now they've had ample opportunity to change. This information has been well distributed over a long period of time, um, beginning as early as 1984, when the industry was in its formative stage, and the financial interests have chosen to suppress the information and let the industry become what it is. So um, it's a wonderful way to live. I don't want to minimize that. I, the carefree existence for a healthy person is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But you better not get too unhealthy because they may decide that they can't care for you anymore and so you're evicted because they say they're not licensed to provide the care you need
0: i've I've seen that before with other people where somebody seems to start exhibiting signs of dementia and they're not set up to accommodate dementia and then then what do you do and well
1: they just they just kick them out
0: yeah I know but so what does that person do then i mean they their money is there so their well, life is there well
1: they've just lost they've lost all value from their entry fee that's gone sad and uh, and the provider benefits by those expulsions because they then get to resell that residential unit and get a new entry fee. Mm. So, um, but anyway, that's that's how I got involved. And as long as there's a chance that we can make it better for the next generation coming along, uh, I think we have an obligation as principled human beings. To try to pull on the conscience of the providers and their industry to rise to the responsibility that is theirs.
0: I, I agree, and the thing is, we're all going to get there at some point in time. So let's even if even if your motive is purely selfish, let's make it good so that by the time you get there, it's set up right for you. So, um, but it's just I admire so much that this is so. This is so passionate for you that you just keep working on this and you don't give up. Do you get frustrated? Do you feel like you're making headway?
1: Uh, no, but I uh, uh, oh oh do I feel I'm, I do feel I'm making headway with some people, but yes. Okay, good. By speaking out, I, I I face reprisals, so I I had to hire an attorney to be allowed to continue living where I live uh, because they they um, you know they were. Uh, bothered by my pointing out certain things mm-hmm. that they felt might hurt the their their corporate interests. Um, and um, so it takes a certain amount of courage to uh, call people to account, to to really look to restore the trust that people ought to have in these undertakings. There's no reason why they even have to do it. I mean, they could, they, they could, they could adopt a more principled way. They could hold actuarial reserves again, to, to use a, a term, but they could hold scientifically determined reserves so that they were truly prepared to meet the lifetime commitments that they've promised that they're going to undertake. They could fully honor their contracts. There are programs that do that and do it very well, but uh, there's no way for consumers to know which is which, mm. and the regulators, at least in California, are not qualified really to be re- to be addressing these issues, because the way the regulatory structure works in the state of California is that you have career employees working their way through offices in Sacramento and when you're let's say you're working in one area of government and there's an opportunity in another you just hop over you don't have to have any special expertise you just get a pay raise. so mm-hmm. uh, there's there are some real challenges that are on both sides of the fence that have brought this about and of course the industry is happy to have it that way because then they go, to the new regulator and say, well, we're the experts, so we're we're here to help.
0: Mm, Okay. This is a big hill that you're climbing up. So and I I respect that you do this. I think this is great and I something that we've talked about privately and uh, it's something I still want to continue to be involved with you and talking about because it's a big cause and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of people. And I, I imagine it's not just California. You you're talking about California but I imagine this is a nationwide
1: uh it is issue. nationwide yeah. some 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 states are better than others uh North Carolina probably is the most trustworthy state oh, interesting somewhat surprisingly well there was a chap there who became a resident he was like me enough a, a, a generation before me a guy named Harry groves he was one of the Tuskegee Airman oh and he became an attorney and uh, as an attorney he went so he he uh, went and walked the halls of the legislature and uh, before the industry noticed what was happening it was partly in reaction to his work that the industry formed its oh. trade associations to kick back but uh, the result is that North Carolina has a, a pretty good uh, regulatory uh, structure uh, because Harry Groves was an attorney. He built the structure on disclosure. So they have a lot of disclosure requirements and the providers not wanting to be embarrassed because they would have to disclose. They tend to rise to it, but there's not the same kind of direct financial and contract regulation that you find in the life insurance industry that I was familiar with because our industry or the life insurance industry is run by mathematically trained people, not just by legally trained people. But anyway, uh, other than North Carolina, there's there's no state that's exemplary. California has a huge number of little requirements Mm. that don't amount to much. Uh, because there has been a resident advocacy um, group who every year try to get something enacted so they can say, well, we've, we've earned our dues money for the year. But uh, the result is that you've got extensive statutes that cover, you're allowed to have a meeting, we're, we're now allowed free speech, which is not always permitted. For residents, but the uh, result uh, is that the the core, the material issues, are are still open.
0: It's really it's mind blowing. This is just mind blowing. So,
1: well, it's it's most providers don't okay. understand this either, and in part it's understandable. They don't want to ever, you know, I mean, they, they, sure. they were earning a living. They got their degree and whatever. And so, um, their, their careers. Yeah, are, I are get it. And I'm way. glad
0: to hear that. It's not just you in case somebody listening thinks, well, maybe this is just Jack. Just, this is just him complaining. And, but it's not, you've got, you've got a lot of people who <laughs> feel the same way. It's not just one person. Um, uh,
1: Well, that's been, yeah, that's been a a slog. My hope is not to hurt the industry, but to help the industry. That's been my approach from the beginning because I came from a background. For example, if these entry fee, take the entry fee that people pay and people Mm -hmm. know that that's a large amount of money. Well, if an insurance company takes an amount of money like that and provides an annuity for life, they're subject to rules that ensure that that money won't be spent by the in the meantime by the executives. Mm-hmm. So one thing would be you could say that these entry fees have to be managed by licensed insurers. That would solve the problem right there immediately. Uh, that's not going to happen because... The industry uses those monies for its own purposes, and uh, so you know uh, the it, it, the system works for the people who work in the industry. So uh, they're reluctant to change. But I think people of good conscience do want to do the right thing, and once they understand the what it is involved then they try to bring it. I think you raise a
0: good point. It is about understanding. And I know I had read a story about a very young man who was in a, he was in a skilled nursing home, not, not in a continuing care. He was in a skilled nursing. And he was asking for some things from the director and the director was telling him no and was pushing back. And he said, you need to understand this is your job, This is my home. This is where I live. You go home to your home and have things done your way. This is my home. And so I think sometimes it is just a matter of understanding Mm -hmm. that this is where people live. This is their home. And there's ways people want to be treated. And it doesn't change Mm -hmm. just because your hair turns gray. It just requires a lot of education, I think. Mm-hmm. and I'm glad there's so many people like you who are really trying their best to educate and and so maybe it doesn't benefit you, but maybe it benefits the next wave of people coming through.
1: I think that's that's I think that's the hope. and I what i I suspect is that the age segregation wouldn't
0: that be great? will
1: go away. Uh, so. That would, be, you know, this, uh, uh, we, we, well, we want to get rid of bias. I mean, racism is mm-hmm. the most difficult issue we have. And uh, I hope we can get beyond that. But ageism is right up there. Now, ageism as a bias didn't exist until people mm-hmm. started living longer. <laughs> so uh, before, now, ageism wasn't a problem because people just died i mean they got to be seventy they they cooperated <laughs> That's fully a good and way they, got, it. they just <laughs> left the left, left the planet but now they're continuing and a lot of older people uh i'm eighty four b rose hundred and five they 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 don't uh, lapse into um, loss of, of, of mm-hmm. thought processes. You're still able to fun- At least I, I think I function if you notice <laughs> something tell me. You but. function above and
0: beyond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, things have changed. The, the landscape has changed and thank God because you have so many more opportunities to keep doing some more things and I I mean, I'm excited for myself. I Something will come across my path like, oh, I'm going to add that. I'm going to do that too because that sounds really interesting. And so, and contributing is probably the most important thing we can do. But there, the the biggest problem is division. There's me and there's you guys. And that's, that's the problem, I think, overall, so that we do have problems with racism and ageism and sexism and all kinds of other isms. And this is something that we have to keep working toward.
1: Well, yeah, there are two cultures in every senior living uh, facility okay there's the staff culture and the resident culture so the staff uh they come to work and they're very dedicated they do jobs mm-hmm. that nobody would want to do uh, but let's let's just face that they and even during covid time they come to work faithfully taking the risk and exposing themselves so that's wonderful but they go home and so they have freedom whereas the residents are on the yeah. site all the time and and so the the residents trade freedom for security and whether that needs to be but i like to the you know, it's common to compare this living with cruise ship on a cruise ship the customers come and go but the staff mm. is continuously there in senior living, the staff come and go and the residents are continuously there. So with COVID, the, the similarities are overwhelming. If you could have both the staff living on site, as mm-hmm. is true in the cruise industry, and the residents living there, you could create a hygienic bubble mm-hmm. like the NBA did for its uh, players, and we could have a much happier outcome than what we've yeah. been reading in our daily press. And and again, the industry, I know of one provider in uh, Alabama, if I remember correctly, that did bring staff on site, and they've had nothing, oh, okay. uh, no uh, exposure to the to To this disease, but in general, uh, again, you, you the industry doesn't want to have that burden on them. They don't want to be confined. The residents are confined. Well, if you're if you're a young person of forty five years old or fifty years old, maybe you don't want to be confined.
0: Yeah, so. there's ways. I think there'd be ways to do that where. You're living there. You're getting a place to live, and and also then your your perspective would change if you live there all the time. Your perspective would change as to what it's like to actually live here versus it's not just a job. It's now it's your home too. So it might might change things.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, um, so you you're publishing. Do you have anything coming up, Are there places we can find you, and and also your website? Can we give that out so people can find you in case they want to join your, join your team?
1: <laughs> well, I do have a website is sort of dormant, but I have a website called actionaging.com. Okay. And uh, it, uh, you know, the nature of these undertakings is you put something out there and, and see if they come. So, I put out actionaging.com and uh nobody came so it <laughs> so if it works fine and it's still there and I don't do much to keep it up to date because nobody came but uh but you can you can certainly reach me through that uh jack cumming okay. at actionaging.com is uh, one good uh email um, I do publish regularly in actuarial journals, and, uh, and uh, there's a lot there. Uh, and also, uh, there is a trade publication called Senior Living Foresight, and uh, I publish uh, there. They've had the courage. Uh, it's a more, well, foresight. Mm-hmm. They're more forward-looking. Than most of the uh, industry's trade publications, which uh, s- just tell people what they want to hear. And, uh, and I have to say that I admire the publisher there very much who has the courage to say, we can make this better. We need to make it better.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. That's great. And so I'll, I'll include the link. So if you're listening and you're driving in your car or whatever, I'll include the links in the show notes so that you can get these directly and click right on them. And so can I, as, as we wrap this up, I would like to know if you have any advice for somebody, let's say they've just been laid off in this pandemic and they're 55 or 60. I know a woman who's 82. Yeah. She was working a full-time job. She was laid off. Um, if they've been laid off, what advice would you give for them going forward?
1: It's a wonderful time to be free to reinvent yourself and to look for an opportunity. The pandemic has accelerated virtual connectivity. It's so much easier to connect with people nationwide, worldwide today than it was previously. And I'll give a quick example in just a minute, but so, Take stock of what your passion is and try to build some kind of business around that passion. What is the value that you can bring to other people? And then, if you need the income, be sure that you don't make it just a hobby, but that you find a way to monetize it. You may have subscribers. You may uh, become... An influencer, you may have lots of things that you can do. The example I was going to give, I uh, I noticed that there are a lot more people now online, so I thought I'd create kind of an international neighborhood of people working together to help each other, uh, and you can have learning circles and worship circles and prayer circles and action circles, all kinds of circles within the context of an overall. So. I got the domain Mm. goodneighbor.com, and it's companion goodneighbor.world. And I haven't done anything with them yet. They're just sitting there. But uh, we'll get something out there, and then we'll see, again, like with the Action Aging, Mm -hmm. does anybody come? And uh, if they come, then I'm hoping that that might become something like a Wikipedia, where it becomes self building, you could give people a platform where they can come together and help each other and find opportunity. And if we can make something like that work, that can be so beneficial for this emerging world that we've created through the trauma of this year, where we've learned to be more adaptable, we've learned to be resilient, and we've learned that everything doesn't just come the way we expected it to be, but we have to reinvent the f- world of the future, and we're going to do it. It's going to be a wonderful I decade love it. you ahead. Have, you bring
0: such positivity, and I know you're i mean you're coming from a place where there's some things that need to be fixed, but you bring such positivity to it and and you're not giving up and so you just give me a lot of hope. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com, and at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section, and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach, so if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now.